Chapter Twenty Seven of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. The trunk stood ready buckled and strapped in the Dan's room at the Hotel Rex in Paris, and Edith Dand walked about the rooms with a pensive valedictory air that prettily suggested the enforced abandonment of a nest, the end of a honeymoon. "'I hate leaving a place where we have been so happy,' she murmured, as Jeremy Dand came in and sat down. He was manipulating the refractory key of a despatch-box, into which he wanted to stuff a precious battered volume of medieval indelicacies he had picked up that morning on the keys. She came up to him. "'Leave that silly old thing alone and make room for me.' "'Why, Edith, are you actually going to sit on my knee, like the woman we saw last night? How nice and depraved of you! It's the last day. Jeremy, have I been good? Not too good. Well, nice? Very. Aren't you awfully sorry to leave Paris? I shall be glad to get home. But, Jeremy, I thought you said I had been nice to you here. Yes, but you can be nice to me there, too.' It isn't the same. There's the mothers, and Mr. Johnson, and Amy. Yes, there's Amy, he said complacently. I do believe you are looking forward madly to see her. Not madly, but I am looking forward. Bother, Amy! Jeremy, you have been happy here with me. Yes, and you? Oh, awfully! You can be so nice, Jeremy, when you like. "'We have been like lovers, haven't we? "'And you have given me the pearl necklace you promised me to pay for the baby, "'and it is to be my very own, this one, to keep myself, isn't it?' "'Yes, foi de gentilhomme. "'I adore you to talk French to me.' "'Why not? You understand it?' "'Mamma had me properly grounded. "'What a funny thing it is. Amy can't speak it, isn't it?' "'Her mamma didn't have her properly grounded, I suppose.' Don't make me too untidy, Jeremy. I like this hat, don't you? A pretty hat and a pretty woman. How you do flirt, Jeremy. Am I a prettier woman than, say, Amy? Much prettier. Still, Amy has her points. The worst of it is she is so much too pale. Poor pale Amy. Why do you pity her? It is only that she eats too much pastry. She ought to marry. You know it is my dream to marry her to Mr. Johnson. The rolling pin marrying the pasteboard. No, it wouldn't do. She'd be paler than ever. You don't think he is good enough for her? She relaxed the pressure of her arms around his neck. You do admire that girl, Jeremy. You can't hide it. But it's all right. So do I. I think she's a dear little thing. Dand laughed. Dear little thing. She's tall, and, mentally at least, she could wind you round her little finger. It is amusing to hear you patronize her. She could make you do anything she liked if she had a mind. Edith felt indignant, the more so that what he said was true. The plan she was actually pursuing, and seemed to herself to be bringing to such a triumphant conclusion, had been conceived by the little thing, and carried out on the lines laid down by her. The whole trend of the previous conversation had vexed her, but her irritation culminated here, 
and now the fierce need of self-assertion inherent in small natures rose in her and would not be gainsaid she had promised amy that she would not make her husband a scene she would not do that she fancied that without altogether giving amy away by a confession of amy's connivance in her plan of action she could perhaps succeed in taking the credit of it for herself and thus convince her husband that the possession and the exhibition of character was not amy's sole prerogative jeremy she said still keeping her arm round his neck it isn't amy alone who can be strong i have plenty of force of character and the proof of it is she began to get frightened yes but you needn't strangle me she whispered in his ear i feel i must tell you dear i once took my line a most exceptional line not at all the line a weak woman would take i can assure you bless you my simple white lamb what are you driving at i no jeremy don't put me away i can speak best so don't think i am cross with you dear i don't blame you at all men are so different amy and i agree about that i hope i can understand and make allowances stop hedging said he taking hold of both her arms and spreading them out with it jeremy before i came away from england a lost letter was brought to me which you read eh his voice was changed no it was read aloud to me part of it it was a letter from you to amy a letter she had stupidly left about little fool jeremy then you admit admit what he put her off his knee and she stood trembling while he walked about the room damn woman he exploded oh dear jeremy don't don't give way to temper i love you still don't imagine that this has in any way altered my feeling for you i hope it can be superior to an ordinary wife's jealousy though i must say the letter produce it she trotted off to her handbag standing ready packed on a gilt console and took out the envelope and enclosure addressed to amy just as the nurse had written it in her cramped elegant handwriting three weeks ago mr dand crumpled it up in his hand so you brought that all the way to paris to make a row with on your honeymoon too what a bon bouche well here goes it was torn into a hundred fragments i must say i thought you would want to read it piped she why should i you have i tell you i have not looked at it only a few words read aloud to me by the nurse i don't believe you as you please said she proudly i am a lady as you thought when you married me and now hadn't you better tell me what you are going to do about it nothing at all i love amy jeremy i love amy he repeated and me she wailed and you he replied calmly altering the accent so as to pervert the sense of her exclamation but you can't love two women at once i can no you must choose between us amy then oh jeremy you are not serious you are simply talking for effect and to tease me you will find i am serious enough i rely on amy said edith she and i are friends we settled it all before i came away ah then i see why amy turned me out of her room the day before i left someone had been at her amy behaved very well 
and so have I behaved well, Jeremy, you will find. One can behave well and be a damned fool, I perceive. I may be a damned fool, but I am not such a fool as to keep Amy in the house after this. It would not be fair on the girl. I shall dismiss her the moment I get home. You will do as you please. You are the mistress of my house. I suppose that means that you will follow her? I may or I may not. Depends on Amy. I know what Amy will say. Amy is straight. She burst into tears. Oh, no other woman ever was asked to listen to. I never heard of anything so impossible, so outrageous, so cynical. And here we have been like lovers in this great big gilded hotel. Do you retrospectively object? I think you ought not to have. Now, Edith, said he, sit down, calm yourself and listen to me. This is a mere storm in a teacup, or a water-butt, and muddy at that. I am too much of a philosopher to permit it. I want to tell you that I am a husband, a father, and a householder. I have my own morality. As you may have observed, it isn't the same as yours, but it's a good working morality for all that. I love a woman I can't get and who has given me not the shadow of a right over her, as you are perfectly correct in believing. It shows a degree of penetration on your part that is unexpected and praiseworthy. That being the case, Amy being nothing more than a valued friend to me, is there any reason why I should not fulfil my duties as a husband, and behave decently towards a woman with whom I have no fault to find? A very agreeable, charming, good-natured woman, if a little silly. She demurred vocally. Yes, you are silly. Most women are. But that doesn't prevent my being fond of you. Very. Tell me, then, when you obviously laid yourself out to be nice and chatty and pleasant, as you well know how to be, and your beauty abetting, succeeded, was there any obligation on me to rebuff you? Because in my own fanciful way, I pined for another woman I could not get. Need I behave like a bear, as you seem to suggest I should have done in the interests of morality and decency? Of course I did not suggest that you should be unkind to me. But you must be a very wicked man, Jeremy, to use such an awful set of arguments, and tell me to my face that you love another woman. Your own fanciful way, indeed! How would that sound in the divorce court? I forgot you had been brought up in its atmosphere. Now you are insulting my mother. Dear old lady, I would not for the world. But really, Edith, believe me, sexually speaking, my conscience is perfectly clear. I have behaved ill to neither of you, and don't intend to. That I happen to enjoy Amy's society as well as yours, and in a different, totally different way, is merely one of the absurd accidents of existence. There's too much law-making in this world. I ought to be able to marry both of you. Free love, indeed! Well, but I can't. You and your like won't allow it. Still, nature will have her way, and Amy and I are forced to meet on a somewhat different plane to that on which you and I have established our collaborative existence. It works out all right, if a little tediously. But one wonders if you grasp all this. Edith's neck swelled. He had touched her vanity. She spoke eagerly. I am not narrow, Jeremy. No one has ever said that of me. If you remember, 
I proved it long ago by keeping Dawes in my house even after Amy said she was no good and had taken to seducing Hodges. Even then I wouldn't believe harm of her. I don't suppose there are so very many things I cannot make allowances for, climate and disposition and temperament and so on, if I am consulted reasonably and quietly, and not treated as if I was an ignorant fool. I am not treating you like an ignorant fool, am I? No, I suppose not. You are speaking rather rudely and off-hand, but I believe quite sincerely. I quite appreciate the compliment, and I am willing to meet you half-way about Amy, if you really can assure me that it's all right. A man's word of honour given freely. Amy told me herself that you had never kissed her. That's true, of course. She was really quite nice about it, rather off-hand, but then that's her way. When I taxed her with you, just as if I were a theft, an apple, a loaf of bread, eh? Poor Amy, I'm sure you bullied her well. Women are devils to each other. I didn't bully her. She bullied me. She threatened to leave at once, and I don't know what all. And the awful part of it is, I was mean enough to positively cringe to the woman I supposed, then, to be my husband's mistress, because she was my right hand, and I didn't want to lose her services. She realized that and took a strong line at once. Oh, she had far and away the best of it, I can tell you. I get red all over when I think of it, how I took a back seat and played second fiddle, any sort of fiddle, to Amy. And I am very fond of the girl myself, if you hadn't come in. Ah, les hommes sont la cause que les femmes ne s'entrement pas. Conceited pet! Still, Jeremy, I do like her, and always shall, and I'd give a good deal to keep her with me. You can, if you are modern enough to be able to reject useless and obsolete ideals of conduct. He went to her and kissed her. Is that a Judas kiss? said she, looking up. No, as I hope to be saved, he laughed. Look here, you have got to trust me in this. Cannot you trust us both? I had rather trust you and leave her out of it. Edith, be generous. You can, if you will. You are quite a decent woman at bottom, if you would only have the strength of your convictions. Of yours, you mean. You are getting quite perky and clever. One grows a lot in moments like this, said Mrs. Dand. What I meant about not trusting Amy was that surely it is quite on the cards that she might fall in love with you after all, even though, as you say, she isn't now. You are horribly fascinating, Jeremy. Look at me. Here you have been saying the most awful things to me for the last hour, on the eve of a long journey, too, when we may both be killed. And here am I, your lawful wife, actually discussing your love affairs with you. The way you began was simply brutal, and the curious thing is that your poor wife, whom you can apparently do just as you like with, you don't love as much as you do Amy, who, you say, snubs you. So how is Amy going to resist you in the long run, if you are always there and setting yourself to make her mad about you? It is just because you're good enough to care for me that I have the power to mould you and modify you, push you this way and that, like a pawn on a chessboard. It is my instinct to deny my love for you, Jeremy, in self-defence, but it is no use I cannot. 
I won't try. Be good to me. He took her in his arms. That is nobly said, dear Edith, and the man would be a brute who would betray you. I swear that I never will, if you choose to come home and trust me. I am the only danger. Amy is as safe as a bank. She has her amulet of chill disdain. She hates love and all its laws. She is weary of what she never knew. Lovers have never brought her any good. I understand her state of mind perfectly. Her heart has lost its suppleness. Her nervous system its responsiveness. I know, like a piece of elastic that has been pulled out and stretched and will never be taught again. I understand. But heavens, what a queer arrangement I seem to be going back to. Yes, but aren't we rather queer people, all of us? You would not have us ordinary. No. Well, then, let us arrange to go home quietly and do our best to behave ourselves. And remember, if it comes to the very worst, won't you, that we have had a good time here, and before, for eight years. What do you mean? I mean fairly and honestly. But supposing the superior power were to thwart our poor mortal aims and intents? It won't, however. Courage! Couldn't you say, Jeremy, just once, that you don't really love Amy? It would make it so much easier for me, and truly I should not call it love myself, the way you speak of her. No, what I feel for Amy isn't what you mean by love at this moment. That's for love, then, said the wife happily. And next? Do you respect her much more than me? Respect? Well, from one point of view I don't respect her so much. But from the point of view of intellect now? Oh, yes, Amy has a good head. No, that isn't what I meant. His face grew sombre. She interrupted eagerly. A bit of an adventuress, perhaps. You can't tell where she's been and whom she has consorted with and how much. That's the worst of it. I don't know about that. And it isn't our business. Not yours, at any rate. Leave her alone, and let me assure you, my dear, that this little skirmish we have had has left me with some increase of admiration of your own powers of mind. You tackled the situation like a brick. Say a strong woman, Jeremy. All right, I'll say like a strong woman, a Samson of sweet reasonableness. I apologize for calling you a fool. You are not. Now, are you happy? I am quite happy, said Edith Dan serenely. But— and her eyes looked subconsciously knowing, for once. There is unhappiness for somebody in all this, I am perfectly sure. He agreed with his wife sadly, preoccupied in thought. She was thinking of Amy as the scapegoat. He was thinking of himself, for he had been sincere in his protestations. End of chapter 27 Read by Lisa Reichert